Hello, audacious listeners. It's Mercy, your fave Gen Z on your fave Gen Z careers podcast, Audacity of Lee. Each episode, I'll be having chats about the reality, honesty, and spilling all the Gen Z tea when it comes to careers. So, let's get into it. Hey everyone, welcome to the Audacity of We, the podcast, your fave Gen Z careers podcast. And today, I have a very significant person in my career, in my journey, who's going to be on our podcast today, um, who I've known for almost two years now. Can you imagine? Can you believe it? So, as a self-proclaimed CEO of Hyping Up My Friends, I am bringing that energy with my podcast guests, and I'm here to hype you up, so I hope you're ready. His name is Asad Dunna. And he is the CEO and founder of The Unmistakables. And our first conversation, as I said, happened almost two years ago, which led to my first career boss. I know you don't like the term of seniority as much, but that is the fact and that is what happened. So you saved a jobless graduate in the height of a pandemic. um, So kudos to you. He is um, someone who has an incredible consultancy that looks through the lens of diversity and inclusion and looking at it internally and externally as well, which I'm sure he'll get into. And just an amazing place that I I work at and I'm really proud to be a part of. The clientele is incredible, um, but Asa doesn't just do that. He does other things as well. He's a trustee at AKT, um, which is making safe homes and better futures for LGBTQ plus young people and was also the former director of comms for Pride in London. So many accolades to his name, many, many things that he has had in his career journey. And I am excited for this conversation because I feel like I love having our candid, sarcastic, insightful chats. And I'm really excited for everyone to hear one just live in action in this podcast today. So that was me hyping you up. I hope you can stay humble, but please do tell us, introduce yourself, Tell us about your career roadmap and what led to where you are today. Thanks, Mercy. Um, thanks for having me on. Uh, yes, I feel significantly hyped from that. Uh, in a good way. It's funny when people play things back um, to me. And I still remember our first conversation. We were introduced by the lovely Hugh Thomas, who uh, had met you through some mentoring. And what a brilliant person and what a testament to having a network and making it work. So what would you like to know? You'd like to know my career history. What a big Yeah, if you could give us question. a snapshot, a bullet train journey through your career, but really kind of what roads led to TU, the unmistakables. Yeah. So I've always been informed by my lived experience and then my professional experience and how the two have worked together. So if I just throw it all the way back to when I was choosing where to go to university and what to do. And I loved languages, absolutely loved languages. Couldn't tell you for what or for why. Uh, I had, I was pursuing, do I do German and French together? And then, you know, got brown skin and Asian parents who were like, what are you thinking about in doing two languages? Uh, you've got to do it with something. So I did German and business studies. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have that a bit in common in doing a business degree. And I did that at Warwick, brilliant place to go and lived in Germany for a year. And so that was where I started to think about what is it that I want to do? And I had that told to me and talked about a lot in my home growing up. What are you going to do? what's um the plan from a really young age because brown right yeah and my parents were like we didn't come all this way for you to sit on your bum we came for you to work so that was instilled from a really young age and I 
I could have done the law banking whatever and which would have been expected of me but I just I really liked journalism I really liked writing I liked the press and I got an internship at the Financial Times Deutschland where I was for six months and that was my I guess first proper job I did some internships around it at PR agencies and I loved it and it taught me so much about how a how a, um, how a newspaper works, how people work, the difference between the business side and the editorial side, how decisions get made. I actually ran a podcast way back in 2009. Was it 2009? Yeah, on Lost in Language, it was called. And I would talk about what it was like to be English in Germany. Oh, wow. And then I would layer in what it was like to be brown and English in, in Germany. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then I came out I came out of my de- degree and thought maybe I could be a journalist and this was the financial crash right so 2010 there were no easy jobs to get into and journalism is a hard career to get into not least if you don't have the connections I was lucky because my sister was a journalist so I managed to do some work experience at Bloomberg but I've just it wasn't it wasn't right and I could have gone into a grad job I had an offer to work for a big car company up in the north of England and I was like no something's keeping me in London and I knew what was keeping me in London it was uh you know it's my sexuality was keeping me here I was like I can't go and live in a random Mm. town somewhere it's just not going to be right uh and I got I went to an agency so my first job was in an integrated uh communications agency that did PR uh, design, film, and digital is a place called Incredible. Uh, it's spelled with B-U-L-L at the end and r- set up by someone called David Ball and Richard Parkinson um, and their sister Katie Ball. And it was an amazing place to work. Richard was, the to this day, the best boss I've ever had because he had the unique gift of being quite real, pushing you and having a really good sense of humour all along the way. Mm. And... Uh, he's now part of the unmistakables which is amazing um because he's backed the business and and helped but that that was my start and that was the moment of wow this industry is amazing like all the creativity he's that whole business was really creative we had a film edit studio in the office we had we were out at events all the time our 10th the 10th anniversary party was at the bt tower so every time i look up at the bt tower i think i've been there Mm. um and then I, I kind of I got to that point that people get to uh, where you go, oh, I've got maybe there's something else. And what could I do? And you're, you start talking to friends. And I, I made a jump and I can talk to you about how I made jumps. And maybe that's the, the thing to learn. But um, I went to a big global agency after that called Fleischmann Hillard, which is part of Omnicom massive mass so I went from like 30 people to thousands of people mm-hmm. and I got really good advice again from someone called Richard a bit of a theme uh, <laughs> and he said in your career take the best bits of everybody that you meet to make you and that really stuck with me because I worked with an amazing person called Holly Ward uh, who now runs her own agency and worked my way and I, I progressed really quickly through Fleischmann so I came in at what was senior account exec level and I left as an account director so that was three years so that was about five years into my career at an account director level I was running business I had won an account um the Freeview account I was doing the PR on social media for Freeview I was working on Fremantle 
Um, and then I just had a bit of a wobble, Mercy, and people have this, I think, around their 27th year, like the whole Amy Winehouse, what happens when you're 27, 27 club. And mine was that I was a bit um, over the whole agency world because I felt like I wanted to be on the client side where decisions are being made and where when you're in an agency and you haven't been outside it, you often feel like, well, the client just has all the power all the time and we're just constantly delivering and I needed to come out and the two things were happening at the same time so I left I went to a tech startup called Triptees I was the head of marketing there um, and I always joke like it was eight people how can you be head of marketing at eight people business but my goodness that job taught me a great deal so I went in helped try to set up the marketing to function I was very much a B2C person before that. And then it, this was B2B marketing, like selling technology to hotels. Yeah, and, and for people yeah. who don't know what yeah. is B2C and what is B2B? Yeah, so B2C is business to business. So businesses selling to businesses and B2C is businesses selling to consumers or to customers. So the person on the street. Yeah. So a B2B company was like the one I worked to, which uh, Triptees, it was selling technology to hotels. And B2C is... Uh, a Netflix that sells their subscription to you and me as yeah. people and I Perfect. use my salary right? just so, so everyone gets the full you know understanding the full of it picture. <laughs> yeah the full, and, and it was an amazing that that business in, in two years went from eight people to 60 people and I learned so much I, I, I left as the business development director because I was um, I built a big partnership there and I think it was there where I knew that I wanted to set something up. I had this sort of like energy about what I wanted to do. And a lot of people said that you're going to do that one day. And I was like, hmm, really? Mm. Um, Richard, the second Richard I worked for and the first Richard, they were like, you're going to do something, but we just don't know what. And what do you think that trigger was? Like, you know, it was some sort of feeling, but do you think you can like even... Well, you can do things like strength scope finders and psychometric testing and people often say oh well you've got that entrepreneurial profile mm -hmm. I think what it was was when I was in organizations I was restless all the time I was constantly thinking we can build this we can do this why aren't we doing it why isn't it moving quick enough mm -hmm. and that made me just so restless and it happened in my so my final job before I set up a business was in a big comms agency one of the best in the world Weber Shamwick and I worked on I went in to work on Microsoft and then I worked on HSBC and helped to launch their digital bank offer and their gender neutral titles which is where the diversity stuff started to happen um, and then I won the Netflix account and that was game-changing in my career because it just gave me so much knowledge about how to do something like that it was an amazing brand to win and it just gave me confidence and underneath all of that you mentioned the director of comms role that was a voluntary job that I did while doing the Weber job so I had my day job at work and then my gay job and they were very connected because and this is a bit of a theme in my life which is German and business right I've always got two things going on so with this it was I had my uh, I had my day job, which was helping clients through comms, and then I I was uh, the client. So you, our love, lovely friend Lornette was yeah. my agency, and I was managing her uh, and her team. So I had that constant view of I know how to be a better 
consultant agent because I know what it's like to be the other side and yeah. therefore the conversations at work so that's the potted history I haven't even talked about the unmistakables but you asked so that's how we got there and that's yeah that's where we are yeah no I think that's just I mean I told everyone at the top of the episode that there's a wealth of experience behind you and I knew there was going to be a long list of things but I love what you did about linking how things just started to make sense to you of being like I, you kind of like the thing of two things going but you also like how you can see when diversity and inclusion started coming through your work and bringing yourself into the job and that all ladders up and becomes a part of the makeup of the unmistakables which I would love you to talk about a little bit as well like even if you could just give the the lowdown of what is the unmistakables one as a just the organization that it is but also what is it to you so the unmistakables is a strategic consultancy and we specialize in equity diversity and inclusion and we work with organizations to embed equity into the way that they work structurally and we do that through a framework that we've developed called inside out inclusion so we look at everything that's happening within an organization whether it's the leadership whether it's the culture the data the demographics around the people and then we look at what's going on outside in terms of marketing communications and how a brand is then presenting into the world and who is buying the goods predominantly around the b2c bit if we just have to go back to that and all of that is supercharged by insights. So in the world of EDI, there's a lot of subjectivity in terms of how we do what we do and who should you be targeting. But actually when you base it in data and insight, you can help an organization or a team or people to shift. So we make sure that we are leveraging that insight in the way that we go to our clients. And at the core of that whole thing is the strategy, right? What is your strategy when it comes to EDI? And how does that work? Now, what I find amazing about this, Mercy, is this isn't just about EDI. This is about how you stay relevant in the world, in the way the world is moving. Yeah. And what is changing? Like, we could go off and talk about Love Island if you want, because <laughs> you were talking about that at our monthly meeting today. But this is the way the world is moving. And that's where it started from, which was when brands and my clients way back were saying, how do we understand this and how do we get our head around it? I was going around in agency land going, we don't know the answer to this and we're sort of paid to know. And why don't we know? Because of the structure of how agencies are created. Yeah. So th th that's what it is today. And, and you mentioned the clients we work with. I'm like touch wood, just so um, lucky with the partners that want to come to us, whether it's big tech platforms that want, you know us to go in and diagnose what's going on in their teams whether it's um one of the biggest industry events in the marketing world wants to get dni more thought about uh, and wants us to diagnose that um or whether it's the uk government wanting us to help get better teachers into the way they work mercy when you and i spoke two years ago i think we would have kind of laughed if we if someone had said that we today. would never honestly that's the thing and you know Assad has been very humble but if you do want to know who the clients are you can head over to the unmistakables website the unmistakables.com and you can see some of our clientele on there and you can also tell who's the founder because that was the most like eloquent way of explaining who the unmistakables are and what we do um and when we go through this episode we'll probably be referring to the unmistakables as TU which mm -hmm. just makes it 
a bit less of a mouthful, so it makes it easier. Um, but yeah, it's just fascinating how we've seen it, you know, transform and evolve. But that's because of the nature of the work that we do, because diversity and inclusion and that conversation is always evolving. Yeah, there, there is that. And you asked me a question of what does it mean to me? Yeah. Which is a really good question, because in any founder, there's that what's the purpose right deep down so when I look at you Mercy I'm like well part of the purpose is for people like you to come to work and love it and feel like you're thriving and learning and have opportunities and will be the best person you can be at work because I know what it feels like to be in an environment and go they don't get me Mm. And that means I don't want to turn up and come up with the best ideas. That means I try too hard. I burn out. I just don't feel like I can belong here. So Mm. what it means for me to run this business is to say, well, actually, how can we live and breathe some of that in the mission to accelerate inclusion for not just our clients, but for ourselves and for the work that we do? And I think what, what underpins and what I love about the job is I think if you spoke to everyone and we did our own listening session and went why do you really work here mm-hmm. I think it's because everyone is deep down driven to make a change yeah and has this core I've got to leave the world better than how I started it and that is what this business means to me and it's you know again the founder journey and the career journey and bringing yourself into it so much of my life is determined by what's happened to me in my life so I lost my dad when I was 18 that was a big impact on what I saw as stability what I saw as someone working their way through a career and then realizing well what's it for all of those things are the mood music as Simone Marquis our MD says that mood music of your life plays through in how your career Mm. works and I think that for me anyway to separate the two as I tried to for a long time and say I just go to work and I get my money and that's fine and I go home and do everything else there for me personally it didn't work Mm. it was and and I went I went on the marketing academy scholarship and we did this big exercise about your values and how do your values play out and how do your company's values play out and where's the misalignment because that will be the thing you're feeling that will be the vibration that's just not there yeah Um, and so that's what it means I just I feel like I'm vibrating in the right way Oh, I love that. I think that's like a perfect way to kind of wrap that up and what it means. Yeah, the founder journey, which I'm sure a lot of people will be interested to hearing about, because that is a daunting task, you know, it's a never ending task, because it's just something that you're, you're continually building. So, I mean, TU is just doing phenomenal work and as i said there's definitely more information on the website so head over there and, and see what oh, thanks for the plug see Mercy. what we're about yeah. well i swipe mean swipe up for more <laughs> swipe up is old now though oh, we don't wow. have swipe Here up I, I really tried i tried to not um show up a little bit of gen z um how where that's we are okay. but that's, it's okay. Okay. that's what the this podcast will be available is about. on all the podcast streaming things or whatever you call it now yeah. we'll get to that we'll get to the official plugs at the <laughs> and end can i just say to you mercy because yes. i've been that i've been you right I, and mm-hmm. if you look at my linkedin recommendations there's a recommendation from richard who said about Assad. he taught me all things you needed to know about digital for a lud up like me and I remember being the person be like we need an iPad like why don't we have an iPad and I went yeah. we got one 
And I look back and I realise the reason why I'm not on top of things as I was before, and I'm only in my mid-30s, but the reason why it's just, it's a function of time. Yeah. It's having the time to go, I need to know that latest thing, which is why then having people who know that and can bring that and help teach you, Mm. that's that's what I've learned over the last couple of years. So what I'm hearing is I'm that to you. I yeah and as, you know, <laughs> we had a leaving do today as you know and Ben uh, Brooks Dutton who's one of our outgoing directors who was you know part of the business for a long time said that to you Mercy like you do yeah each and you can't forget that um, and yeah. I think then what you were saying about you know meeting people where they are uh, in terms of like where clients are on their EDR journey it's all two way mm-hmm. and um, I just throw that in because thank you for teaching me that swipe up for more is too old you're so welcome you're so welcome we're gonna tell we're gonna talk more about kind of where gen z are at and and where those differences can show up in the workplace in a little segment we like to call the tea with gen z and what we want to talk about is how language which we've touched upon a little bit but language and this version of business speak and i'm using air quotes for that is different between um, different generations. So Gen Z in particular, and maybe millennials above and any generations above that. And I thought this was really interesting because we've definitely, you know, we interact and we talk on Slack, we talk over Zoom, etc., and all that kind of stuff. And what something you mentioned, I think it was last week, was that I'm very happy to speak digitally. I'm happy to send a message. Like I'm happy to just send a message on Slack and that's, that's me, I'm cool, that's it. But you love to talk in person. And I mean, I love having a chat in any form, but you do love Mm. to talk in person. I thought that was really interesting of like the nuance and difference that, you know, the different generations can show. And I wonder kind of what are your initial thoughts around that? Do you see that there is a stark difference or do you just think it's actually maybe an individual thing or maybe a bit of both? I I think it's a bit of both. Um, So I was reflecting on this coming into it. And I think the major difference is you have to look at tech adoption. Mm. So I remember a time, albeit not a very long time, where we didn't have phones. And I'm I'm only in my mid-30s, right? I'm and literally I say, like shaking. I'm like, yeah. what? <laughs> and that when I say we didn't have phones, like the phones we then got had keyboards and you had to type like in T9 tech speak. And when I saw the adoption of that like I was always I was I'm in the adoption the tech adoption curve I'm very early adopter I had the very first first iPhone it was 2G it was slow and I've always been someone who's lent into tech so then mm-hmm. to hear you say I prefer face-to-face I'm like well, why is that and I think there's a couple of things going on one yeah. is when you're building a business which is about relationships and how people work and actually how the work place operates mm-hmm. actually those moments that you have in person are where you learn about people in a way I feel I personally feel like I can't learn that digitally in the same way and I mm. think it's purely because of how I how I grew up right I when I was a child I was making relationships and forming bonds and friendships with people face to face so it's what my brain plasticity is probably set in which is when you're with people you can pick up body language and you can see where they're at and I like to think I'm a very perceptive person Mm -hmm. so you've seen me when I um when I moderate things I'm like I can see something in your eye I see you've got your head down like 
tell me yeah. about that and I can only really feel that in a room mm-hmm. so if I've met you in a room and then we're on zoom I'm like wicked because I've I've seen you in all 3d yeah if I've only ever met you on a zoom I and and I know this is different for Gen Z and I'm amazed by it and I think it is because as children you've made bonds in a really different way yeah and you're the plasticity in your mind is probably set to go this is how I bond with someone because mm. of that so it's not about the fact that we use emojis and gifs it's about the fact that the way we interact with people has changed and I think what's interesting for my generation mm-hmm. is if you go back to I taught Richard all things about being a he calls himself he was like digital luddite is what he called it like caught in the stone ages for for a generation above me it was all about phone calls you picked up the phone so to give mm-hmm. you an example right mm-hmm. when I started my career if you wanted to sell in a story to a journalist and get them to pay attention the advice was pick up the phone pick up the phone but I'm just going to send an email pick up the phone because it's how you get through to them if the news cycle is moving like that and they've got 100 emails why should they care about yours okay pick up the phone. it's changed now because the way that media has changed is stories come from social media and actually journalists have got less time there were fewer of them in the newsroom that that's a whole different podcast episode but this idea of how work gets done was very different and I still think there's remnants of that when you think about, and I'm probably going a bit too far and pull me back if I need to, but when you think about where power is held and where decisions get made, it's important to know, is that happening in emails and Slack messages and texts or, and or is it happening in rooms where people mm-hmm. know each other? And you've, I think it's a combination, a blend of all. It's really not about judging yeah. and saying one is better than the other. It's just knowing how it all works together. It's fascinating because like when you did mention about, you know, ways we've grown up and never mind just ways we've grown up because me graduating in a pandemic, the only way to interact with someone that wasn't physically in your house was over Zoom or was over video call or something like that. And it's interesting because to me, I'm like, that's what face to face means to me. If I'm then meeting someone and talk to them in a physical space, I'd be like, oh, in person or in real life it's a bit of a different thing so it's like it's just an interesting concept and I do feel it's the way that um especially that two-year pandemic you know time time frame I think it's really changed the way that people think what is you know my default is whenever someone wants to chat it's probably over you know a version of zoom yeah Yeah. it's, it's how you know work and I knew work in my first two years at Incredible as every day I woke up, I got on a train, I walked from Houston to St. Paul's, I sat down at a desk. That was how I knew work and what Mm -hmm. work was. And I think sometimes what's behind the question about the language in the workplace is actually how work gets done. Yeah. And what we're seeing now, if I had to just go, look, Mercy, let me tell you what I think is going on in the world. What I think is going on in the world is a sense of can we press pause just for a minute and Mm. reflect which came up I think today in our meeting which was we've been so used to working like boom 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 boom, Mm -hmm. send the message send the message and actually I remember back pre-pandemic some of the best work I would do would be just looking out the window or Mm -hmm. having a drink with someone in the creative team or a little moment where it wasn't about forced having a chat it was Mm -hmm. about 
just being and then yeah. something would spark so I don't know we'll ever get back there to be honest and I'm not I don't want to paint out some rosy nostalgic image but I want to just probe and say this idea of digital and I just found it so amazing like that you find this the same as being face to face I I love that mm. I just I think my plasticity is set. it just doesn't go yeah and you know and I think you know everyone's been talking about hybrid working and how can that work and how can it happen but hearing our conversation I'm like I feel like that's what makes it so challenging like because you've got people who were so used to the in-person you know aspect and being in the office you've got people who've never seen an office and just online is what it is and that's what they've known but then equally there are benefits that have you know been um, online and getting that but then on the other side there's benefits of being in person so it's like there's just a, a mishmash of just people being like i don't get it like i don't i don't i don't know what works for me because every day is also different as well one day i might want to be in the office one day i might want to be online and i think hybrid is is very much that gray area of people not understanding there is no one way to maybe do it yeah, there's definitely no one way to do it. And actually, the way that we're thinking about it at The Unmistakables is to pull up and say, well, how does work get done? And what mm. are the moments we need to collaborate? So to give you an example, just live this week, right? We're putting together a proposal and there were two, there were three of us that wanted to get together. And I ended the last meeting last week to say, could we all get together round the table mm. on Tuesday? And then someone said, I can't do... Tuesday like we booked it and then someone said I can't do Tuesday could we do Wednesday and I said it's not going to work because two of us will be at home now I can tell you that 45 minutes sat around a table with a few pieces of paper and some drawing got us there quicker than an hour and a half on zoom and I'm not saying that because I don't like zoom I do like zoom I'm saying that because for that task it needed the in-person frenetic energy that sometimes creativity needs to go, mm-hmm. oh, what's that about? But you can get that on digital. I'm just not used to leading for that. And mm-hmm. personally, I find if I can go in a room, sit with some people, help each other learn as well, because that's how I learn. I learned so much with it, sitting next to my boss, who's like, you think this, walking out of a meeting going, I liked what you did, but I do that differently. Yeah. You don't get that on Zoom when you just leave next meeting. You don't get that. Mm-hmm. Can, can I just have a little bit of feedback? Which is why I think Gen Z are craving feedback because those yeah. those subtle moments aren't there as much. It's interesting. I'm just sitting with my thoughts for a second because I'm like, I, I hear everything you're saying and it does make sense. But equally, I'm like, I don't know. Like, I feel like, does it always need to be so or what are the like as people are just now learning what the certain tasks are mm-hmm. where it's like oh that is better in person but is it better in person or is it better in person for certain groups of people okay but let, let me tell you what it was like when i set up the business right so yeah. in 2018 i read a really good book called the entrepreneur entrepreneurial entrepreneur revolution and in it there's there's a few chapters about how we work and it talks about mm-hmm. the industrial revolution right let me throw it back to the industrial revolution all the way back <laughs> all the way back back in the day you probably think I was alive then uh, and <laughs> how work was structured was you needed to bring people together to create a product so you needed to bring people to a factory and they spent time together on an assembly line created it and how it went because that's what the world was making back then 
right mm. so the structure of work became you go to a place at eight o'clock you do that work you take an hour for lunch you finish it at five and then you go home that was the structure because you needed to physically go hey mercy here's this here's that or pass the product around now since then in that world of industrial revolution it's become automated and robots are doing a lot of that so the structures change but mm -hmm. also what we create by way of products is intangible so why do you have to come together at a certain time to do it and this yeah. is what the book was challenging so when I started the business mercy I worked in exactly the same place as I did during the pandemic despite the fact we had got an office space mm -hmm. and I sat there and I was like why do people get up and go to the office it just seems a bit silly because I can get up yeah. sit at my desk and I'm just as available what I learned though was to form relationships and bonds with people I needed mm -hmm. to go and meet them and I needed to go and have a chat with someone, especially in the foundational part of a business where no one knows who you are. Mm. Got to go, I'm in your face. I'm literally in your face and I need you to give me half an hour. And yeah. if I sent an email, they could ignore it. If I offered a Zoom call, they could be doing another thing. But if I'm sat in your office in your face going, I'm setting up this business and this is what it's about. You can't ignore me if I'm in your face. So I wanted to just throw that in because I think mm -hmm. it's good for us to think about this as society. And I think it's good for every generation to go, mm -hmm. how does work get done? And why do we need to be there? And we don't want to go back to the monotony of missing out on bath time and bedtime if you've got kids or having to move city if you don't want to. Like, we don't need to do that, but we do need to configure work in a different yeah. way. Yeah, no, really fascinating. And I'm I'm super interested to see just how that conversation continues because I just think it's just continually evolving and it's going to be different and every aspect or every organization, the different approaches are going to be different. Like I think different is the word for this new working and the way of communication. What, so, what do you make of it? Because clearly you've got a closer pulse to Gen Z. You so, know, like, that's the thing. Like, I still think that, I mean, I've worked for context. I've worked fully remotely, um, really, you know, over the last almost two years. Um, and you, we, we come, like, I come down every so often to London. I'm based up in Glasgow. And I do find that, like, maybe it's a character, like, thing about me because I love a chat. But when you're in person, that is amplified by a hundred. And so it's very hard to get work done in an office. And that's just something where I'm like, I don't know how real or true that is because I don't do that, you know, weekly even. Mm. So but how do you define get work done? Work, if I have a task and I can tick it off by the end of the day, that's how I define getting work done. But for me, it's like, I mean, I would love for getting work done, just being able to have a really nice conversation with someone and that, that's work done. And it might be in some cases, but in the reality of the working world, I feel like there's definitely tasks, especially when it comes to admin, and they will not get done as quickly as if you were in, you know, a space that doesn't involve a lot of yeah. stimulus around you. I do, I do agree with you. I, I do agree with you. And that's then about splitting down the types of tasks. Mm. because then it's about saying and this is what I used to do when I worked in because I've, I've done 10 years in an office and I have managed to get my admin done uh -huh. and it, it was about saying well 
this moment, like I have to block that time to do it. And I literally have to get up and go and sit somewhere else. So no one distracts me. I used to mm-hmm. have a poster above my office. People thought I was precocious, <laughs> which again, this is why I've set up a business. I had this poster and it said, respect headphones as a sign of intentional isolation. Okay. And so yeah, people yeah, yeah. knew if they came to me, because what, what we will do, they'll be like, oh, I'm going to just, let me, I'm going to go, that's good. I'm going to is that? <laughs> so I went, I had these headphones, or headphones similar to these, put them on. And I was like, if they came over to me, I was like, that's why this is on. Because if okay. I don't do, and that's then discipline. Mm. And, yeah, and, discipline, and, I don't know how much that's in my vocabulary just yet. But I think that's when it comes to Gen Z are only starting in their careers. Exactly. So, you exactly. know, and we're I, learning I, as we go. I totally agree. And I, 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 we've talked about this before, about amb- yeah. ambient learning, right? I think there's so much to be said about ambient learning mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. I would I personally would have really struggled to yeah. to get because I just I remember just how much I learned like I remember honestly I remember a meeting let me remember that I'm going to call this back to you right okay we used to take minutes as you know and mm-hmm. um, you take minutes in a meeting and people used to write their minutes in a book yeah okay and then they'd go and type it up and send it to the client yeah. I I rock up the digital man and I had my little HP laptop and I would sit in a meeting and type mm-hmm. my boss took me to one side and went why are you doing that it looks like you're really distracted and I was like I've just written up I've, I've just sent the, the minute like, I don't need to do this anymore and yeah they were like, what? and that's where you go you don't get that okay digital you don't get that little moment of like but I'm going to teach you why I'm doing it this way yeah and you're gonna learn and, and both ways round because then they yeah. went, when you turn up in front of a client they want you to look at them because they want to know you're in the room so if you're gonna do that key tip put your laptop to one side and type slightly sideways so there's no physical barrier in front of you mm-hmm. and that little cue of just having a physical item in front of you it, it's about trust so if I can meet your eye line I can form a bond of trust but if you're looking at this thing different. yeah you'll notice most if I'm ever in a client meeting my laptop it's always to the side yeah, yeah I have noticed I mean so now that we're already firing off tips and, and okay, what to do we're gonna we're gonna go into um the next part of the podcast called one thing handbook and just the whole uh, yeah. idea about the one thing handbook is, is that it's like... yeah. the one thing handbook <laughs> I wish. I actually I wish. wish it was. You I know, let's just send her an email or, you know, <laughs> we'll just meet her in person or we'll fly out. That's what yeah, we'll do. Yeah. But with the One Thing Handbook, the idea of it is just that with all the podcast guests, we're going to have everyone giving that one little thing that someone can take into their career, whether they're at the very, very start or whether they're making an industry change or whether they're nearer, you know, further down in their career and just one thing that they can really take into their career journey into um just the way that they're going through different changes and bring it on board so with that i would love to hear some um points from you because i think you're going to bring some really good advice and thinking about positivity first Mm -hmm. what is one thing about your job that brings you joy only one thing well i mean it'd be nice if we tried but let it if it snowballs into something else then go for it the one thing that brings me joy about my job is 
the impacts that we're having on the people and mm -hmm. by that I mean the people who work for us our colleagues the clients that we work with when I see those aha moments of oh I could think about this differently um and then yeah those would be yeah so one thing is the impact and then it's the knock-on of that and I have to say if people are looking for advice right yeah if any when I hear that job uh, when I hear that question because I'm the founder of a business all I go to is the egg the opposite so I go to all the things that I need to fix yeah and actually when I stop the only way place I can get to that is just to reflect and go actually we're having an impact we're making an impact that I love yeah. um, and I also love the fact that we're having this conversation Mercy like that you have created this great thing and that you are taking the initiative to have conversations and do something that's impact for me yeah so that's what I that's what I love yeah and I feel like you know what about I guess on the so for you know aspiring founders or even existing founders right now how do you kind of try or how have you tried to shift from the things I need to fix to leaning more into the things the reasons why I'm doing it or the mm. things that make me understand and happy to why I've stayed the course hmm. um I can't answer that without saying I don't have the answer to that because I really struggle that's fair what I would say if there's a founder listening to this is having really good people around you so I the team we have at the unmistakable the leadership team we've got that I've been building I just think it's great and it's having people to share the ups and the downs and to help you with decisions I think there's a real sense and I think sometimes it can potentially be more acute for black and brown people there's a sense that like I can do it and I can go it alone and I can make it happen and I thought like that for a bit having really good people around you because they can help you both in the bad moments to go I'm with you and in the good moments can go let's smell the roses together um so that's what I would say and I would also say mercy that I know you're probably gonna ask me another one thing later but when you get to that point of just you're vibrating a bit it kind of gets easier so mm -hmm. what I had when people when I started the business and a lot of people went, oh, it must be so much pressure. It must be really hard. Like, do you find it really pressurized? And I said, mm -hmm. I had more pressure in my last job, for sure. And the reason why I had more pressure was because I, I wasn't vibrating. So I was in a system where I was like, mm -mm -mm. like, I just yeah. kept feeling like wasn't there. So um, I would just, I don't know, I'm going somewhere else with it. But I think just that bit of it just feels right like into your soul like, yeah go into your soul and when yeah. you do that like everything other everything follows the classic line of just following your gut instincts you know what your gut wants well yeah. your gut is your second biggest thing apart from your brain right so we often just go i'm gonna listen to my brain mm. and we try to over intellectualize it and i'm mm -hmm. i'm an over intellectualizer right so i'll overthink things and i'll go it's why i find doing zoom meetings so hard because i'll come off it and go this could have been better that could have been better this could have been better like that's a very poisonous narrative to be sitting in mm -hmm. whereas if i walk out of a room I'll go my gut is like that went well 
okay. or didn't go well. And so listening to the gut um, is like, you know, cliched, but it's true. It is. Yeah. And I think sometimes, you know, when it comes to like terms like that, that are cliche, if they work, they work. And I think it's something that people should just be okay with listening to. Like your gut will tell you if this is what you want, your gut will tell you if there should be a change. And obviously there needs to be some logic behind it. Yeah. But I do feel that gut instinct is something that people should not be afraid to tap into. And let, let me add one more thing in, in there. Because um, uh, I did a lot of reading about setting up a business because I've got, I'm, I'm higher on the apprehension level. So I'm like, mm. how, how do I make sure I've squared this? I read an amazing book called Your Money or Your Life. And it said there is a threshold at which when you earn more money, the more you earn is just to maintain your lifestyle. So how someone told me about this, and I, I, they didn't even know about this book, I think. Okay. They were like, I had this big shot job earning however many figures. And I just... I, I he was like I got home and I needed a toothbrush and so I went and I bought a 300 pound toothbrush and he went how have I got to my place in my life where that's the decision I'm making that I need a three like it's not going to clean your teeth any better than a 20 pound toothbrush mm. and therefore what am I doing it for and in the book, it talks about that sometimes the more money that you earn is only the, the, after a threshold, that anything above that is just to maintain the stress that that brings you. So for me, when I was uh, earning in my last job, the more money I got, I was spending on massages because I was stressed. Mm. And then I was like, well, if I wasn't stressed, I wouldn't spend that money. So how do we figure that one out? And then for a few months, first three months of, well, no, first six months or so of running the business, I earned zero pounds and zero pence because I banked a bit of money to keep me going and mm -hmm. cut it all. I didn't need massages because all of a sudden I wasn't stressed. So it's that if someone's listening to this going, I want to plan a business, but you know, I'm really comfortable with my lifestyle and, and the money, just go, what are you spending it on? And yeah. is, it, is it truly driving your soul? yeah wow like i really hope that people have pen and papers or you know if you're more digitally savvy write it in your notes <laughs> yeah. app. Just don't try and swipe up for more just yeah. don't swipe up more because it's not there and you won't be able to there. do it <laughs> exactly but i mean i think there's just so many things that actually did come out of that and i want to go more into the challenges because i think people shouldn't shy away from that and their realities as well and looking at you know what is what are if there was one thing that you could say is a career watch out that people should think about you know whether they're changing industry or becoming a founder whatever direction you want to take it what would be a career watch out and then on top of that what is like one thing when you think back to at the start of being a founder people should think about oh start being founder okay so i'm going to recycle some advice it's the best advice i was given when i was about AD level by someone called Gioconda Beekman, who was a director at Fleischmann. And she, we, I remember it was lovely. And this is why I think IRL is better. But we went for a really nice lunch. Uh, and she went, Assad, some people spend their whole life climbing the ladder only to realize it was leaning against the wrong wall. Oh, wow. And when I heard that, I went, uh huh. Just climb back down 
and have a look at what the wall is leaning what the ladder's leaning on mm-hmm. and that was that's the best advice I've had because it just made me go huh what do I want and I think when you're when I was younger it was certainly like I looked around I've got people with shiny job titles and accolades and whatever and I was chasing stuff and then when I spent more time just to go what do I want what's important yeah then all of a sudden I've got the title of CEO and I sit there and you've you're like you're the CEO I'm like well there's come there's people who've climbed a ladder to get to CEO and that's a very different pathway of becoming you know Alan Jope or something at Unilever um but that's the one thing I would remember for any gen or anyone really but someone yeah because I think what's really interesting about that is that not a lot of people allow themselves the time to reflect like we don't have time or we don't give ourselves and we don't create the time can I tell you why that is because I've had this conversation with my friend Claire who's one of the smartest people I know Mm -hmm. she said if you think about the the currency that that platforms operate in they operate in the currency of attention yeah so they're buying for your attention and every minute you're giving there you're not giving to reflecting so how do you build that in and how do you just put the phone down and reflect and that, I just wanted to throw that in there because you're right like it's taking the moment like I you know I, I went to India for three weeks while I was in my job and I worked there for a bit and that was when I did like this yoga retreat mm-hmm which is so cliche, like brown man going to India to your uh, And I talked to people there and I was like, I'm stuck with this decision. And they were like, just do it. And they didn't know my context. They didn't know the, oh, this guy, he works for this person. What a great blah, blah, blah. They were mm-hmm. like, you just seem like you need to go and do that. I was like, you're right. I do need to go and do that. So um, that's the piece of advice I would give uh just check the ladder and then your second bit was about founders right yeah so this people who are starting out and being founders what is the one thing that they that you wish you knew when you started I wish could someone just tell me now like (laughs) (laughs) um I'll just go back to the book I mentioned the three things that said you needed were luck vitality and reputation I think I've told you this yeah um so I kind of went in like aha the one thing I wish I knew was stop and smell the roses yeah have those moments to just go whoa hang on a minute that's quite cool mm-hmm. or, oh we're actually there now and yeah. I didn't realize like even speaking to you Mercy's been here for two years that's amazing mm-hmm. and we made it through a pandemic like those two things in and of themselves are quite big they're huge yeah and I think especially for people who did start businesses during the pandemic or not lot um not too early and before it all started I do think maybe it's been hard to reflect on the good because it's just been you know bombarded with so much chaos and just so much you know challenges Mm -hmm. and I think I remember a moment actually that I want to tell you that I think was the moment I wanted you to stop and smell the roses and and what we've done is when we were in the BBH agency in their offices and they were you know delivering on telling us the learnings that they had with the work that we had done with them and I stopped and I took a little picture because I was like I want Asa to remember this moment because Mm. this is definitely one of those like moments where you're like wow like you know you remember that first meeting you might have had 
with the agency and then you know everything else in the middle is a blur and then you're coming out on the other end of the project and you're just like what what happened yeah. but and I, and I think that has been really hard in covid because absolutely it's so hard to see the fruits of the labor mm-hmm. um so that and then I, i'm just trying to think like that's that i if because if i was sat there as a founder today i would go yeah but you've got four years now so like what actually do i need to know and the, and i think if i went back and if i could just talk to me in that moment I would just say the words, it will all be all right. Mm. Because actually, if you start it and it doesn't work, it'll be fine. Because everyone will say, wow, you tried. Yeah. If it starts and it does okay, amazing. Some people don't get there. Mm-hmm. And if it starts and it does amazingly, even better, and isn't that a bonus? So just go, it will all be all right. It'll all be all and right. Yeah, and my dad used to say that. He used to say it in Urdu, but he'd always just say, like, it will all be fine in the end. Yeah, Um, I've also heard someone saying, when is it never not worked out? And I think that's a really challenging term because, like, some people have an idea of what they want it to work out as. Mm. But, like, at the end of the day, when everything has happened and whatever period of time has passed, you're like, but maybe I was meant to be here. Like, no, actually, I was meant to be here. And then you start convincing yourself, and you're like, yeah. Yeah, and I've I've taken I've taken jobs and gone. What have I done? Yeah, I shouldn't have done this. And why did I do this? And uh, sometimes it's about and this is just life advice. It's the push and the pull. Mm. So don't do things because you're pushed. Do things because you're pulled into something else. And if you're not being pulled into where you are at the moment or what's not working, explore that. Have a really open conversation. I wish, and maybe this is your next one thing. I wish I just had a really open conversation in some of my bo- in some of my bosses and jobs and gone, look, I'm not happy about at the moment. This is what I'd really love to do. Can you do this for me? Because mm. this is what I'm thinking. And yeah. I know if I'd had that conversation with Richard, the first one, I might have stayed there for a while because he would have gone, well yeah we can do something about that well do you know what this is kind of what we've got and how can I help you get the next job because every single boss wants to see their people go on and do great things and we all have to just I wish I'd known that back then that is such a good thing and I think that's really great for people who are starting their careers especially Gen Z I also say the same thing and implore people to do the same of just ask the question the worst that can happen is someone says no and that does not change Mm. the position that you're currently in hopefully but like if they say yes then it does change and things can move in a more positive direction but Gen Z definitely I feel like it's a great you know some a CEO has said it ask the questions (laughs) you can blame on Asad do you know why that is Massey is because I can't read your mind it's true and when you get to a senior level people only tell you what they assume they think Mm -hmm. you want to hear and that's where you get into a problem because I don't want to just hear people go oh it's great I want people to go it's great this is why and these are things that I'm looking for this is what I'm interested in and Mm -hmm. how does that work which we've had those sorts of conversations all the time sometimes successfully sometimes not but yeah that's I think how we build a better working relationship how we build a better culture um and I think when I was younger I was I was gonna say I was scared but I don't think Gen Z are scared because from what I see on TikTok I think Gen Z are very good at saying this is what, what they feel want. yeah I, I just it's the two-wayness 
that I think that's me. the thing. Yeah, for sure. It's what's on the other end because you can say everything. One, some no, nothing happens. Two, it's met. You know, really hostile. Or it works. Like, and I think it's that's what's quite challenging of being like, am I ready to have that conversation? Because I don't know what the outcome might be. Or it, that's the challenging part. But I do think it's a very good good way to to get things to work for you and mm. see how it can work for you and then you can have the understanding of if it's right for you as well because gen z i feel sometimes forget that they are also it's a two-way thing like you said that they also have the choice of if it's right for you well it's just and and when i when i say two-way thing i think it's definitely about choice 100 percent, and also about how work back to the point of how work gets done and how work works mm. to say because I remember this in the millennial generation, right? I really remember that, like, everything's got to be done on Twitter. Like, everything's got to be done my way or no way. Yeah. And actually, it's got to be our way. And that's the, the bit for me about the two-way. It's like the give and the get. Because organisations are, by nature of what they are, going to have to evolve. And I think even organisations, for example, in my in my I haven't seen lots of Gen Z unicorn success stories yet and I'm sure they're coming but I certainly saw with millennial success stories it was you can be a millennial and really work that and start to embed into the systems and structures and make them Mm. better as well so that's what I mean by two-way I think it is a bit of a this is what I want to get but also this is what I need to give and put the two yeah. together um that's yeah. what I mean by two-way okay okay yeah and you know I feel like especially with the unmistakables and just how much it's in that space of diversity and inclusion which I feel is something that's been talked about and the industry is you know it exists but there is you know we were talking about the inside and the outside and, and that difference that I feel like The Unmistakables has. What do you think people who either work in the space in diversity and inclusion, equity, diversity and inclusion, or people who want to tap into like finding a consultancy and feel free to plug to you as much as you want. Oh, yeah, well, you've already <laughs> <done a> job. <laughs> but like in, in that, what is the, the, what's the one thing that you feel like people in this space, in this industry need to really think about? They, like you need to think about this when it comes to equity, diversity and inclusion. You need to think about structures. Yeah. That's what you need to think about because structures determine behaviour. So I'm going to give you a really silly example to prove the point. Okay. So I used to work in a, one of the agencies I worked for. It, it, the office was spread across three floors and one of the biggest... Uh, objectives was um, how do we make sure that people integrate more so the healthcare team was on the fourth uh, the second floor and the consumer team were on the fourth floor right so how do you get health and consumer to work together closer so that we can find new opportunities for our clients people did not want to go up and down the stairs or get yeah. in the lift or hot desk downstairs or go and talk to their colleagues because the structure of the four floors determined the behavior of how people sat and how people worked. So how did they do it? Well, eventually they moved to a big open plan office that was all on one floor and you could get up and see your colleague and hear their conversation and have more chat because people are somewhat lazy. 
So when we think about ED and I, we have to think about structures because we might sit here and say, well, we need to do a bit of awareness training on racism so we know it exists. I'm like, we know it exists, especially if you've experienced it or you're black and brown. I don't need you to be aware of that. Mm -hmm. I need you to know the structures that sit behind that, which is hundreds of years of transatlantic slave trade, which is an empire, which Mm -hmm. is the way that we see people, which is colorism, which is like these structures. And if you wanna be addressing structures, you've got to realize that is going to take time. If you've got a house, yeah, and you want to have a nicer kitchen, you can do a few things. You can change the tiles. You could buy some new units. You could build an extension that starts to become structural, or you could knock the whole house down and rebuild it in the way you want it. And yeah. that's where we're at, I think, in society, which is some people yeah. are like, I'm happy with a few new tiles. And some people are like, blow the house down and let us start Let's start again. again. Yeah. And then how do you make a cohesive street? That's Mm, where we're at. The street. Wow. Listen, that's where I want to be. You know me. I like to go full, like, speed ahead. You want to burn the house down? That's Yeah. I want to burn the house down and just get started right from the start so we can, you know, have it on a better foundation. But I love how you talked about structures because I think, you know, we've, we're we doing and have done the understanding piece. It's really the, for change to happen. It needs to be in these structures. So, yeah, thanks so much for adding that part. And for this one thing handbook, I think you've added great, great, great advice to it and great aspects to it. Some really, really and insight and perspective. So I'm really happy with that. And as a founder as well, I think there's going to be a lot of information in there for, you know, upcoming founders, but also existing founders. So that's, that's really Yeah, and, and one of my like little manifestation things is, you know, to help black and brown founders to do yeah. this because it's hard. Mm-hmm. And if there are founders listening to this to go, I just want to talk to someone who's doing it, find me and I'll yeah. chat to you, uh, even if it's on Zoom because that's as good as IRL. We will do that because yeah, that, you, people uplift people, and the that's the structure and the ecosystem change. Because people who look like me, Mercy, they set up businesses all the time, but mm-hmm. they are Uber drivers or news agents, and mm-hmm. that is part of what I want to change. Um, yeah. So yeah, yeah. If you're listening to it, just, I mean, that's really why the podcast is called Adaptive We and emphasis on the we. It is that collective and, you know, being able to like people uplifting people. So I love that you've brought that in as well, because it ties into the very core of what the podcast is about. So I thought the best way to end our episodes, which is very sad because I don't know how it's already got into this time already. Gosh, time flies when you're having fun, they say. Mm. But definitely want to end in a game because i just think it's going to be a lot of fun and a great way to just end on good vibes really and the game is keep or delete where i'm going to give you three questions where you get a topic and you decide whether to keep it it's something that you're about something you like something you're like yeah i don't want to keep that in my life or delete where you want to get rid of it in an ideal world if you could literally throw it out the window that's it done you don't have to think about it ever again got it okay i'm ready Okay, so because it's a careers podcast, emails, we can't avoid them just yet. They exist and they're here. What about when it comes to, we were talking about language and you did mention emojis, emojis in emails. Would you keep them or would you delete them? Keep. 
keep. I'm surprised, 100%. you know. I'm surprised. Do you know why I don't put emojis in emails? Why? Because I, on my, if I'm on my computer, I just don't have the time to like remember how to get the keyboard up. That's literally it. And it's not hard. I know it's not hard, and and it depends on who I'm talking to. Okay, fair. Yeah, like I'm not going to send a client an emoji in an email. Just that's fair, but now I feel a little bit hurt because I don't think I ever receive an emoji from you. So well, we I'm don't email each other. Pers- we, we chat on Slack all the time, and I you saved yourself on that one. Yeah. You saved and yourself on that one. Okay, fair enough. I agree. I love emojis and emails. I think they're a good time. So mm. yeah, I mean, finding the emoji keyboard is not hard. Um, but you can't remember. Okay I come from the world of the T nine keyboard, where it's like colon close bracket. This uh, is true. So, yeah. This is true. Okay, I'll let you off with that one. That's fine. Now the next one is, you know, I'm an avid watcher of TV. You're a watcher of tv <laughs> yeah. what about i'm more of an observer <laughs> literally an observer you're like how do you find the time um there's hours in the day that i can put to tv mm-hmm. but specific type of television reality tv i'd keep it or delete yeah i'd keep it mercy you forget. you're surprising me i'm so excited about this i'm like big brother series one like back True. in the day like i would keep mm-hmm. that reality tv because it was about reality now it's yeah. about some bizarre reality um mm-hmm. so, and this it's become true. like social media blah, blah blah but i'd keep it i think it's i think it's a really interesting uh factor of society i think it serves a purpose um i just think we have to get better at it so all the conversation about making it more inclusive and putting duty of care around it etc., yeah etc., um, but I think it serves a function. People like to watch people. I love like do you, is Gogglebox reality TV. I love Gogglebox. Yeah, I would say so. Gogglebox yeah. is a good time. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Fair enough. I'm glad. I'm glad. So we can continue to bond. Over I feel like you just put stuff it. you wanted me to delete, so you could. Do you know? It. I really thought I'd have you on it. Like, <laughs> I'm like, no. This is why I need to defend all the reality TV shows that I watch. But that's fair enough. I'm glad we can keep chatting. Sell on Sunset then, because we're keeping it. Absolutely. Um, okay. The last one is going to be in, you know, it's going to be an either or. So as in you have to pick between two. You either keep one and you have to delete one. Okay. okay. Are you ready? I'm ready. Gudu versus Tom. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, I would not do that to you. Um, Tom Apollo, <laughs> my dog. Yeah, no. no Could not. you imagine? How do I just delete you in that instant? <laughs> <laughs> just delete me out of the conversation and brought yeah, it up yeah, but i do have one i do have one go on adele versus j-lo <laughs> oh, i'm so glad about this wow uh, let's say that let's say their discography not them as humans of course i was just gonna ask like yeah let's let me make it a bit easier for you wow <laughs> Wow, who would disc- whose discography? Adele, I delete Adele. Really? Yeah. Oh wow, you, you, just saw, you just saw her. I know I did, as as I have not really talked about. Um, but the, <laughs> do you know what I? Do you know why? why? I was having this conversation with a friend of mine at Adele, and we were saying, I can't do too much mar- like malaise and sad songs. Like I okay. go to music to lift. Mm-hmm. And he was saying, well, actually, he goes to me like he's happy to be met in the sad place. 
And so if I deleted JLo, I'd be deleting all the joy of like, I ain't your mama, great tune. True. Or let's get loud. Or if you have, I, I just can't. And then I'd be deleting the videos. Like I'm, yeah, I've made the right decision here. Okay, I'm glad that that processing allowed you to feel comfortable in your decision because Adele fans are crying right now and you mm. have to live with that. Can but... I ask you as keep or delete? Oh God, okay. For the same uh, TikTok or Love Island? Oh, TikTok. I'm keeping TikTok. Okay, I'm keeping yeah. TikTok. Sorry, I, for, like, I'm keeping <laughs> wow. TikTok because I can also watch Love Island on TikTok. Wow. So, okay. you see? You okay, see? Yeah, I see the But game. no, there's there's way more content on TikTok than there is on Love Island. And wow. yeah, I'm completely fine with that. Okay. But yeah, I mean, I can't believe we've come to the end. And thanks for being on the podcast. Thanks for playing the game. And thanks for all your insight and all your advice, because I think it's definitely going to help someone. I really do. Um, so I really appreciate the time that you've taken after we're, you know, recording later in the evening. So after a long working day, I'm really glad that you've taken this time. And I would love to kind of just, you know, ask about, you know, looking forward in the industry in diversity and inclusion. We've kind of chatted about it, you know, lightly, but like, wh what do you hope to see in like the next year? working in this space the next year mm -hmm. i want to see that this sustains and i want to see yeah. that all of the promises and investments and all of that continue i also want to see the industry of edi just find its place i think at the moment there is still a bit of where is it what does it do and you know, how does it make change so i want to see that I want in 10 years, if you ask me that, I just don't want it to exist. I just want it to be the way we work, the way, the way we it are, is. Yeah. how things are, which is an Adele song, the way we work. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I would just love to, um, I would love for this just to be the norm. Um, yeah. Yeah. I agree. No, I 100% agree. And I think that's what we're striving towards, you know, just making it like the sustained part absolutely is like the immediate, you know, hope and then just becoming more embedded, embedded, like you said, talking about structures and that should then come to a place where it's like, it's just what it is. Like, it's just a part of how things are run. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So I said, where can people find you? You know, you're already offered up, you know, your support. Where can yeah. people find you? Well, uh, you can find me on uh, LinkedIn if you just look my name up or uh, theunmistakables.com if you send an email through there it finds its way to me um, or at underscore unmistakables um, is our Twitter and Instagram we're not on TikTok yeah. so not yet not yet well not yet and uh, I you know I'm still saying swipe up for more so I'm really <laughs> this is true yeah. this is true but yeah um and for audacity we we are on linkedin as well so audacity we on linkedin and um, the podcast audacity we is on spotify apple and amazon music so apple podcast and apple, amazon music and if you have any questions anything you want to send directly to me or something that you want to get to Asad if you can't find it through the many platforms that he's just mentioned uh, we are audacity we at gmail.com thank you again Asad thank you for your time and thank you to everyone listening and I'll see you on the next podcast